Hey everybody, it's Rob. This is a podcast I recorded today with Matt Cerrone from MetsBlog.com. We're going to talk some Survivor, but a lot of Mets baseball. I've been a Mets fan all my life, so this is one I've wanted to do for a long time. This one's for you, Dad. Hey everybody, what's going on? Welcome back to another edition of Rob Has a Podcast. I am Rob Sestrino, and uh, I have a very special treat for you guys today. Uh, We are going to be talking to a guy that I have been uh, reading on the internet uh, since uh, 2004, and it turns out that he is a big Survivor fan, and he wanted to come on and talk about uh, Survivor, and the Mets, and baseball, and podcasting, and blogging, and all all that stuff. Uh, He is the creator and founder of MetsBlog.com. And he's also the uh, founder and uh, really the heart and soul of MatthewCerrone.com. And he is Matt Cerrone, and he's on the line. Matt, how are you? I'm doing good, Rob. How are you? I'm doing great. And uh, yeah, this is really, really really nice to talk to you because uh, I read you for years without even knowing that you uh, had any interest in Survivor whatsoever. Yeah, it's funny. I think, obviously, it's an example of of what makes Twitter so cool and that you know, I think we were kind of following each other and, and somehow struck up a conversation and, uh, you know, it kind of goes from there. And, uh, you know, I just, it, it's always interesting to me. I love when that kind of happens. My my wife loves The Price is Right and just the other day sent a tweet to Drew Carey about some kind of rule question about uh, some game on The Price is Right and he responded back and she was all giggly and excited about it. So like, it, it's kind of a cool, you know, uh, byproduct of that technology. And then in a case like this, yeah, we end up, and on a podcast, which is cool too. Which game on the Price is Right was it? I don't know. I you know I don't remember. I'd have to ask her. She's she's very. It's funny. She's actually tweeted at uh, Probst a bunch of times because she's obsessive about the the way he words things. Like once again, immunity is back up for grabs, and the fact that it's redundant, and you know she's got all these like little like grammatical <laughs> things that drives her crazy, and sends those messages. She's never heard back from him though. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I don't think he wants to hear too much about the grammar of the hosting. But uh, yeah, that's, that's interesting. Was it a grammar issue on Prices Right, or was it an actual? No, no, no. It, it was a rule thing. It was. I think he like goofed up when he explained the rules, and she got she was confused. I, I don't know. I you'd have to ask her. She <laughs> it gets a little. Yeah, she's pretty. Um, she's into that kind of stuff. So yeah, and also uh, official congratulations. You are also a a new dad. I am. I am. Thank you. Yeah. It's, uh, been interesting she's uh about to be six months old and um every day is an adventure (laughs) well all right well speaking of uh adventures uh let's talk a little bit about uh survivor uh south pacific uh what what have you made of this season where are you uh, a coach or aussie fan you know i i gotta say and it's funny i i never really gave coach a ton of credit until i heard him on on your show i think um you know a couple years ago maybe it was last year yeah last um, october yeah and i kind of got a little bit more of a respect for kind of the way he looks at the game and and you know takes it i think a little not i don't want to say more seriously but i think he's more of a strategist than maybe i gave him credit for um and you know you kind of see that this time around too um but i you know i'm an aussie fan just because I, I like um, you know, I like the way he dominates the challenges and how kind of casual he is about it, which is kind of contradictory actually to my, why I like the show, because I really enjoy sort of the social engineering of it and whatnot. And Ozzy kind of skirts that with his athleticism, but he's kind of, he seems like a nice guy. And I think maybe that's part of it. 
is Ozzy kind of like a Jose Reyes in in some ways <laughs> that he's not like uh you know he's really he's really athletic he's really good at the challenges but as far as as having the fundamentals of the survivor game down uh it just doesn't seem like he he really truly gets it uh is there anything to there to that there or am I uh making stuff up <laughs> no I, I guess you can I guess I I understand the connection um it's in, you know when I I talk about the show all the time. My friends, not a lot of them watch it. And I think when they have tried to, they watch it as sort of this adventure survive on an Island kind of a show. And that's not necessarily what it's about. As you know, it's, you know, that they, they use that to push people to their limits. And I think they're looking at it to be more like Indiana Jones. Mm-hmm. And when I look at Ozzy, right. Like to me, I see somebody who probably just genuinely likes the adventure of it, likes going, getting the fish and, climbing the trees for coconuts and, and really the survival element of it. And obviously he does that really well. And you're right as an analogy to uh, baseball and to the Mets, which is more my professional domain. Um, yeah. You know, you look at a guy like Jose Reyes or, you know, those kind of athletes and that's really what it is. They, they love the game and they play the game really well in the sense of, of being an athlete. Um, it's skill. And I think that's a concern with those kind of players as they get older and, you know, you saw that a little bit with Ozzy in the beginning of the year. And I think you hear that with when they talk about professional athletes, in particular Reyes. It's like, well, when the skills start to diminish, you know, then what? Then what do they have? Um, and I think that's probably a concern with a guy like Jose. And, like, you wonder, like, if Ozzy were ever to come back in a couple years later, like we saw with Colby a few years later. It just <laughs> wow. wasn't there, yeah. you know? And, like, what are you going to do? And I think that's kind of the – I think it's actually a really good analogy. Nice work. <laughs> so so and maybe like a guy I, like <laughs> like Cochran, he could he could be almost like a uh like a uh Tom Glavin or somebody like that where he, even as he gets older <laughs> like his skills are yeah. He's a crafty lefty. <laughs> <laughs> uh I wouldn't give Ozzy a five year contract. I guess that's at the end of the day or six year contract. I guess that's what I'm saying. Um, well the big story that we were dealing with over here at my house was uh i have a dog named reyes uh as many people from the podcast know uh and i've been in a little bit of a conundrum over uh the signing of jose reyes with the miami marlins and now i'm stuck with my dog who i hope to have at least still for a six-year contract uh so but i've made a decision matt i'm going to Keep my dog named Reyes, even though the that Jose Reyes is no longer a Met. Well, let me ask you this. In a couple years, if Jose gets traded to the Yankees, will you keep the dog named Reyes? <laughs> That's, well, I said as long as Reyes does not become a Philly or a Marlin. Uh, I'm sorry, a Philly right. or a Yankee. That okay. I was going to I was gonna keep the name. That was the oh, name we picked. Okay. Uh, but yeah, if it was, I mean, I think the, I think it's the right choice. I think it's the right choice. You know, I mean, the, the, your dog is your dog. You gotta you gotta be loyal. Uh, you know, in that regard. But uh, it's I mean, it's it's tricky. I mean, we all saw Seinfeld, right? The same kind of thing. Yeah. Talking about that and like, I have so many uh, friends who's you know their kids are, you know love Jose and like this is their I don't know <clears throat> if, if people remember like when D- Daryl Strawberry left the Mets to go to the Dodgers. For me, that was sort of the end of baseball innocence. You know, you realize it's a business, not necessarily just the game. And, uh, you know, I see some of these kids that like love Jose because he's a ton of fun. And it's sort of the same thing. They got to be sort of, you know, reminded of this now and made aware of the fact that, you know, there's dollars involved and all that kind of stuff. And that, that really kind of stinks when you think about it. 
Um, obviously, your dog, I don't think, is that smart. Maybe maybe he is. Maybe How dare he is. I don't know. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, you know, it's nevertheless, I, I think you're doing the right thing. Uh, you know, I meant to get into this uh, later in the show, but since we're we're talking about Jose Reyes, uh, I, what's what's your t- uh, official take? I mean, I've read what you've uh, written on the site, but for uh, anybody who doesn't read uh, Mets blog, and 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 if not, really, what's your problem? But uh, for case, what's your whole uh, breakdown of the Reyes situation? You know, I kind of saw eye to eye with the team on it, and I think most fans too. I mean, I did a lot of like polling on the blog, and ten. 20,000 fans would vote and pretty consistently since the summer, people obviously wanted him back. So do I, or did. Um, and, but only within a particular, you know, contract price range, no one really, for the most part, most people didn't want to give him more than a five-year deal. They didn't want to pay him more than a particular amount of money. And uh, it seems like that was in line with what the Mets were thinking. Obviously he wasn't clearly the Marlins weren't and they offered him more and that's where he went. Um, that's the intellectual argument. Yeah. The emotional argument, I think, gets back to what we were just talking about, which is, you know, he's 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 an exciting player. He's fun. He makes the game fun, and he's homegrown. And the thought of seeing him on another team, let alone uh, a rival, yes, uh, who we got to see 19 times a year, I think makes it makes it really difficult. Um, you know, if he had signed and gone and played for the Angels or, you know, some other division the other league or whatever i probably could get over a lot more easily but we're gonna have to get over this a few times it's gonna be now then when they play him during the season god forbid if there's a pennant race and they're competing with the marlins and he you know this isn't going away anytime soon so from like an emotional point of view it's tricky intellectually i get it i agree i understand i think they did the right thing but emotionally it's it's gonna take a little bit of time yeah uh well i guess uh emotional versus intellectual decision is something that also uh, comes up quite a bit on survivor. What was your take on the big move that Cochran made uh, midway through this season where he flipped at the merge? Did you like that? Or you thought he was making the wrong decision from the get go? Actually at the time I thought, you know, he was in a spot right where it seemed like it was a lose lose. So I think if he stuck with, with the tribe he was with, it was going to be a problem for him down the road. And so he took a shot to see if the scenario could be played out any better. To me, the flaw wasn't the move. It was what he did after it. Yeah. You know, it's like anything else in life, I think. And this is why I enjoy the show so much. I think, you know, it's about opportunities. And he created that opportunity for himself. But then when he got through the door, he didn't really do much with it. And, or maybe had his hands tied, or maybe didn't plot far enough in advance of that move. Um, so to me, that's really the bigger issue. It kind of looked to me like he dropped the ball a little bit. Um, it wasn't so much when he did it or what he did. It was what he did with it when he got there. Yeah, I agree. I think that there was, there could have been more moves that uh, Cochran could have made along the way and not just like been content. And we talked to him yesterday, and he, he said that he got uh, complacent after the merge. Yeah, you could, you could kind of see that. And, you know, it's interesting. It's one of the things I wanted to ask you, um, having been on the show and, and knowing a lot of these people. I mean, how... What, when you watch that, when you're watching the show in its first broadcast, I mean, are you watching it with like different eyes where you're thinking, ah, I know they're maybe not showing us this or something else might be transpiring that that's not getting relayed. Cause sometimes it feels like things are missing, you know, uh, in the logic of what's happening. Like I, I would think these people look a lot more smart when they're playing, or at least the, what they're presenting seems to be going in a particular direction. And then all of a sudden it changes on a dime. Um, 
and it always kind of feels like sort of the editing and the in the way the show is presented. But I could be completely wrong. Is that no, I'm ever- sure. I'm sure there is something uh, to that. Like for instance, I'm sure that um, if you were out there and you were living with these people. You wouldn't be like, oh my god, this guy Rick. He never says anything. He's like, he's like invisible. And Edna, I mean, she's hardly, <laughs> she's hardly ever around. I hardly ever never see her. Like they're there right. the whole time. It's just there's like a third party that's choosing what we're seeing, and for whatever reason, whether they're not saying anything interesting or it just has nothing to do with what's really going on on the show, we're just not right. seeing any of that. So it's like a whole point of view. That uh, is like a, a made-up one of that. It, it's not anybody's point of view other than the person that's uh, editing the show of right. what's happening there. So there are things that sometimes like uh, the storylines are so uh, like complicated with all the moving parts that um, I think sometimes there's a little bit of a like streamlining of what's what's going on. Like somebody right. said, person A said something to person B who talked to five different people before it got to person C. They may just cut out that whole part of the like. Yeah, yeah. So it, you know, they're trying to get it down to. A, I don't think there's any like malicious attempt on anything to. Uh, oh no! Change not, the right. truth, uh, but I think it's like just like in the interest of it's an it's supposed to be an entertainment program. It's not right. like <laughs> just a, a documentary of what of happened, course. and you know they will do things to uh, manipulate the show to make it as entertaining as possible. Right. It's funny. I think I would like to watch it as a documentary, actually. I'm probably the only person, but I think that would be actually interesting. My wife and I actually have a theory that, um, you, you, you'll know, you'd be watching it and uh, somewhere midway through the season, someone finally speaks for the first time. And our theory is, you know, okay, well, obviously this person gets to the final three because it seems like that always tends to happen. They're, they kind of, not always, but feels like people kind of get tucked a little bit in the storylines and then emerge later when... You know, they kind of go for the home stretch. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's funny that, that you mentioned this because to link back to, to baseball and to what I do on, on the blog, and a lot of what I write about on, on MatthewStrone.com, which is sort of, you know, blogging and, and social media presentation. Um, there's a lot of information and things that go on behind the scenes and things that happen in the way the business works and the way sports business works that, you know, doesn't that I think most fans don't necessarily know about. And so it makes judging uh, the reality sometimes a little tricky. And so like, I, I'm always interested. That's why I enjoy listening to your podcast and the guests that come on, because I think you guys speak to it, speak to the show kind of from a more knowledgeable, well-rounded kind of perspective. And I find that a lot of times the things you guys say, I think, oh, wow, okay, I never, I wouldn't have thought that or I, I had no idea. And I find that I run into that on the blog on the baseball side. I've talked with people in the front office or with other teams and agents and you become more aware of what's happening and it's more difficult to react kind of as the, uh, you know, as, as a, as a, as a reader of the site would, um, probably for the same reasons, I would think. Oh, well, th- thank you very much, Matt. And I feel like if, if we just keep the shows long enough, eventually something, uh, something good will, <laughs> will happen. <laughs> we'll come on to some, some nugget along the way. If we just do a three hour show, it'll be <laughs> one thing to take away. <laughs> there you go. Well, um, then, then it's working. Uh, uh, we had on the show uh, a, a couple of weeks ago uh, AJ Mass from uh, ESPN, and, and he had written a book about uh, how it's called uh, "How Fantasy Sports uh, Explains the World," and uh, he he's also a big Survivor fan. And uh, he says that when we talked to Penner last week, that 
Penner is a uh, exact voice double for Bobby Valentine, which I never put that together. Uh, okay, that's good. Yeah, I never thought about that. <laughs> that's pretty funny. Yeah, and but Penner, uh, he never said, "I hate the Yankees." Right. Well, you gotta love Bobby for stuff like that. I got to know him actually uh, over the last year or so when he was uh, he owns a restaurant uh, not too far uh, from my house, and I started doing some consulting stuff with with him personally, and then also with with the restaurant and trying to create content around the business and, and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, he would we would talk business stuff, and that was one conversation. And then we, you know, segue into baseball, and it was amazing to me how like the lights would come on, and how you know passionate. And he, what's interesting to me about him is he, I think, as much as he he loves the game and everything, I think he wants you to know how much he loves the game and how smart he is about it. Um, and so he's brilliant when it comes to sort of the presentation of Bobby Valentine, and that I hate the Yankees thing was prime example of it i mean you know he's gonna dig you know right into that rivalry and i think it's great i'm, I'm really excited for him as a mets fan i'm excited because now i can root for him and against the yankees at the same time yeah wouldn't bobby v be the best survivor player uh huh. that you could think of from the baseball universe oh yeah absolutely no, that's that's awesome that's pretty funny to think about hmm i know and i think he'd probably do it yeah <laughs> to be quite honest um yeah, you know, because he's notorious for politicizing situations. Like, he's very good at dividing people and exploiting certain, you know, personalities and how to sort of advance his situation through, you know, how kind of he puts people together in groups and, and, and those sorts of things. And in some cases, it comes back to bite him. You know, uh, for every, um, you know, group of players that love him, there's a whole other half that absolutely can't stand them. Yeah. Um, you know, and so in some ways you're right. I never really thought about it, but that actually would be a really nice link there. Yeah. He would be a, a great, <laughs> he would be great on the show. Like he would give great interviews. Uh, he would be a great leader of his, tr- of his tribe. Um, he would, there would be conflict around him, like the Todd Hunley's of the world when he's <laughs> makes comments at tribal council that somebody's not getting enough sleep or whatever. And uh, yeah, he's talking about how he hates, he hates the other tribe. Uh, he'd, he'd be amazing. I don't expect to be talking to him too much anymore. Maybe I'll send him a, a text message and people <laughs> start encouraging get, planting the seed because I think it's a great idea. Yeah. Uh, if he spoke in uh, Japanese, uh, that would be pretty cool. Absolutely. There you go. <laughs> yeah, that would be pretty good. <laughs> uh, now, what do you make of – there is a little bit of a baseball connection on this season of Survivor that uh, this uh, guy, Albert – uh, he's a, a, a former, uh, I don't know if he was in the, a minor league baseball player or, uh, if he was in like some sort of like uh, independent league, uh, what have you made of Albert this season? Um, yeah, I think it was minor leagues. I, I think, you know, he's interesting. I mean, I think he's doing, he's playing the, the kind of typical, um, you know, riding sort of the sidecar of coach, but I think he's a little bit more, um, intelligent about it. Um, you know, I've, I've, I've liked what I've seen from him. Uh, I think at the end of the day, I think he's going to get get bounced. I don't. I just. I don't see him kind of running, uh, running with it. But 
Um, yeah, I mean, I've been, I, I've liked the character. I've gone in and out. I, I, it's funny, I always do that. I, I imagine most people do. You kind of go in and out of favorites and who you're rooting for and who you're not and that sort of thing. And there was a little phase in there, I think, in the middle where I was kind of pulling for him, but I, I backed off that a touch. Yeah, I hear you. Uh, like, I also felt Sophie has a really good shot to win this thing, but I just feel like if she's ultimately the winner, I just feel like she's not getting the coverage that she should should be getting as the winner. And I'm starting to feel like maybe only Coach or Ozzy could win this thing. I agree with that. I, I was just saying this last night. I, it's, I don't feel like I know her. As a fan of the show, just watching it purely from an entertainment point of view, I don't really know much about her or know why I should want her to win. I, I don't, and that gets back to, I think, that, that production element where I don't like when there's that disconnect. Um, you know, but I guess I, that, that's going to happen from time to time. Yeah, she's, like, her average confessional will be like, oh, this, this, uh, this Albert, he thinks he knows everything, but he's really, he's so stupid, and he doesn't know what, exactly what's going on here at all. And, of course, and, <laughs> it's sort of like, and, and, yeah. No, no, I was just saying, and I, I don't want to, it's, this has happened now the last couple seasons, I don't want to root for the favorites, you know, like, right. I feel like I want to, um, or, or not root for, uh, you know, in this case, uh, Ozzy and Coach, or last year root for Boston Rob, but like I had, it didn't even take that long. Next thing you know, you're, you're rooting for these guys. And I think it's because obviously you're familiar with them and, you know, there's, there's that sort of, um, you know, not to get too uh, businessy on it, but like that brand loyalty. Mm-hmm. Um, in a case like Sophie, it hasn't really had that opportunity to do that. Um, you know, and I always kind of think in that, that regard, but um, so like I find that I'm rooting for Ozzy, I'm rooting for coach. Not really so much for coach. I don't know why. But kind of rooting for Ozzy. And I don't want to do that. Like, I like other people to win the show, you know? Yeah. I wish that we got to see a little bit more of the players talking about, my plan is this. Like, my plan My plan is this. Like, I'm going to the end with, the, with these people. I'm going to the end with these people. And I feel like that would really help uh, explain what people are trying to do. Now, maybe they don't do that on purpose because it's more like, oh, what's going to happen next week? Um, and we would know who was really calling the shots by uh, finding out who, what everybody's intentions were. But I feel like that would really help figure out uh, heads or tails of what's going on on the show. True. I mean, a little, yeah, the X's and O's, basically, of it. I think that that, that would actually be kind of cool. Um, it, it's What I really enjoyed, actually, is the social element to this, with, with Jeff tweeting and you guys and other people and current folks and and getting kind of this other dialogue during the show which is is great i mean i unfortunately a lot of times watch it on dvr so yeah you can't really take part in it but when you do watch it live um in fact i have to like take jeff off my list of people i follow when the show is on you can't like check a sports score or anything because he's up every five seconds but um you know when that's going on you're watching it live it's an awesome i, I think it's an outstanding addition kind of companion to watching the show. I think it's really cool. And it does kind of fill in some of those gaps that you're talking about a little bit. Yeah, it's really exploded the social part of uh, of Survivor. I mean, I do it more with the uh, with the NFL too, because every, everything's happening at once and following, uh, following all of Twitter. But with the Survivor stuff in particular, it's not only is there people commenting on the show, there turns out to be a lot of drama and people fighting <laughs> with each other over the show, which kind of makes it a little bit of a unique experience. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, and again, like I was saying, I don't have too many friends that watch it. So, you know, it kind of brings that little bit of an extension to people that I know that are interested and have other opinions and are a little passionate about it. So it's, 
I think it's great. Again, like we started off the conversation talking a little about Twitter, and I think this is a, another perfect example of how it, you know, what it can do and how it can be, you know, utilized. Um, you know, and yeah, I mean, on, on, on game day on football, it's, it's bananas. You're right. That's, it's awesome there. Um, you know, really any kind of live event and, you know, it just makes perfect sense. Mm-hmm. Something interesting that you had written uh, a while ago was about how uh, about following athletes on Twitter and how uh, you weren't necessarily going to follow all the athletes uh, from the teams that you liked, but uh, a guy like Nick Mangold, who writes a lot of like interesting commentary about uh, you know what what he's doing and not just like the um, like the regular stuff. But I, I, if I if I can uh, complain about Mark Sanchez off the field, like, he's, right. he's not the best tweeter. I have to say, no, you know, it's, and I get into this a lot. Like I, I said, consulting stuff and on MatthewStrong.com, I'll do videos about uh, sports and social media. One of the things I talk a lot about actually is the sort of idea that you need to give uh, the audience something. I mean, at the end of the day, it's, it's a transaction, it's a friendship, but it's a kind of a transaction in a sense. And with that particular dynamic, you know, people want to get something out of it. They want to be able to contact you and that's something that, that they can get out of it and have that one-on-one. So when people like Mangold, who does a great job of it actually at replies or, you know, gets back to you and talks about stuff, like obviously that's something. Uh, and then at the same time, give you something of some kind of value. So, you know, he'll talk about workout things that they're doing and, and kind of, again, fill in the gaps a little bit on sort of what transpires with a player between you know, game days. Um, it gives you some information on it. There's a small content play. I don't think it's intentional necessarily, but you know, there's something there that you can get out of it. And a case like Mark, uh, you know, he's a quarterback. I think he's probably a little bit more guarded in terms of his PR and it comes across that way. Yeah. You know, I mean, it comes across very pitchy, very sales stuff when they're doing different events. It's not very exciting. And frankly, he's, I mean, I, I think he, I mean, I, I like him and I, I want him to be the quarterback to Jets. I'm a huge Jets fan, but um, he can be a little goofy. Yes. So like his Twitter can come across that way too. So as a, as a Jets fan, I don't really feel like I get much out of following him. Right. Um, and so I don't, you know, that often. Uh, whereas like Nick, you know, I think I get something out of it. And really it doesn't, it, it's not rocket science, you know, it's, it's pretty basic and, you know, that, that's sort of the, the, the secret to it. Yeah. Um, and so in that case, yeah, that, that, that's the point that I'm trying to make there is that a guy like Nick will, will make it entertaining, make it interesting. And just like we were saying with Survivor, you know, and following the different personalities, they fill in the gaps, they help tell the story. And that's what I'm getting out of it. And that's why they get followed. Uh, as I think the same would be true if uh, I'm not sure. David Wright, does, does he have a Twitter? Mm-mm. Well, I would imagine it would be very Sanchez-esque. Oh, his, yeah. No, no, no question. And that's. Yes, no, no doubt about it. Whereas um, R.A. Dickey is, uh, is the best Mets tweeter of all time. I, I would say so. He's actually one of the better athletes to follow because, to be frank, I don't even know that you would know he was an athlete. Like, mm-hmm. I don't even think you'd know he played professional baseball. He doesn't really talk much about it. Um, you know, he <laughs> answers questions about literature and all these different things that he's into and Star Wars stuff. And, you know, he, he's... He's an interesting individual, and I think he, again, gives you this insight into a different element of being a professional athlete, um, you know, and so I think that's what people get out of it, and he, he does a, a really good job at it. And I, you know, I think it speaks to the personality. I mean, I, I, I've known David for years, going back to when I first started the site, and he was in the minor leagues, and he's a super nice guy, um, you know, but I don't know that he has a whole ton to say. 
you know, and that's not has nothing to do with anything other than just a personality trait. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, Dickie, you ask him a question and you could talk about it for, you know, a half an hour. Um, I think he just has a lot to say about a lot of things. And so Twitter allows you to sort of express that. R.A. Dickey, I think, would be good on Survivor also. I know he's adventurous. Uh, I think he's got, like, an interesting uh, background. I think he'd, be, <laughs> he'd really want to win. He'd, like, call out his tribe if they weren't, if they weren't doing well. Uh, I, I like R.A. Dickey as, as a Survivor contestant for the future. I like that, too. I like that, too. I think maybe I'm going to start a little campaign. <laughs> when I get out to City Field, I'm going to start asking people who watches it, see if we can get one of these guys on. Oh, maybe. Um, yeah, I mean, Dick, Dickie's going, what's he doing? He's riding his bike up Mount Kilimanjaro this year. So, like, if ever there was somebody to do it, I guess he could, he could be a survivor. <laughs> you know, we've seen a lot of NFL players on Survivor between, or not a lot, but we have Gary Hogaboom, and, and we have Jimmy Johnson, and we have Eddie George's wife. Uh, and we have, uh, you know, Grant last season's a former NFL guy, but we don't really have any connection to Major League Baseball unless there's somebody that I'm missing uh, through Survivor. And I wonder how much of that is because CBS has the NFL package uh, or if it's because there's just not that much of an interest, even like a Dancing with the Stars. They always have, um, you know, an NFL personality. But there's not a lot of, like, former baseball players that, uh, you know, get involved with stuff like this. There, you know, I think it's a, I think it's a personality PR type situation. I mean, baseball players, for the most, my experience dealing with a lot of these type of uh, different sports, whether it's football, basketball, or, or baseball, um, baseball players of the group are definitely the most conservative, um, not just um, – you know, little C and big C for that matter. I mean, they're, they're politically conservative in a lot of cases. They're conservative in terms of their personalities. Um, you, you know, I, I don't know that it, it comes across to me like it, that those kinds of things would be um, stuff that they would do or clearly uh, NFL, NBA, uh, they encourage, you know, them to be more vocal and be more outgoing. And I think just as a personality trait, and I don't know if it speaks to the games themselves and team sports for individual, I have no idea. But, um, you know, it's enough to say baseball is not a team sport, but you know what I mean? It's probably the most individualized sport of the team sports. Um, if it has something to do with that, but whatever the case, just look at their usage of social media. Um, you know, obviously the NBA and the NFL, for the most part, are far more aggressive, far more vocal, far, far more loud in terms of how they utilize it. Baseball is a lot more reserved. Um, you know, and I, it probably somewhere the answer is in there. I, I'm not a psychologist but like it sounds to me like it's something to do with with something in that that structure now speaking of reality tv and baseball have you watched any of this uh baseball wives show featuring uh former wife of former met chris benson anna benson absolutely not (laughs) there is no way no interest no chance not not in the least i mean i yeah no no I, i couldn't do it i couldn't I mean, you know, obviously there's a little hint of voyeurism where you want to see what, what's going on here, but I, I can't do it. I'm a, my, my biggest flaw with all these shows is the minute I start watching any of them, that's it. I'm done. Now I got to watch them all and I'm going nowhere. So like, <laughs> it's best for me uh, to just keep it, yeah, keep it on a different channel. I, I, I can't do it. I, I don't want I don't want to know. Let's put it that way. Well, speaking of baseball wives, I don't know if you know this uh, connection between Survivor and baseball is that there are two former Survivors 
who are married to uh, pitchers on the Philadelphia Phillies. Do you know this? No, I didn't. Who's that? Okay, well, uh, Mrs. Kyle Kendrick is Stephanie LaGrosa. Huh, really? And Mrs. Cole Hamels is uh, Heidi Strobel from Survivor the Amazon. Oh, really? Really? That's, I mean, come on now, Heidi. (laughs) I mean, you know... I, yeah, have you seen have you, my my buddy Ted writes um, a great website TedQuarters dot net, and he has a long scrolling collection of the silliest, most ridiculous photographs of Cole Hamels that are all on the internet because Cole Hamels is Cole Hamels, and um, mm-hmm. yeah, that's a tough one. Yes, <laughs> he's a. I don't know. As a Mets fan, that, 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 that's disturbing to me. Well, Matt, there was a point in time where I actually thought I changed the fate of, of the Mets. Uh, back in 2007, following the epic collapse of 2007, you know, that call, the Phillies, uh, yep. they, they, went, they went through everything and there was like a, a whole big thing about, uh, it was like an article about Cole Hamels and about how, uh, I mean, this might have been 2008. I, I might have been, I forget which collapse this was. This was. It was yeah, 2008. Right, so you lost track. Yeah. I think, oh, you know what it was? It was 2008. The Phillies had won the World Series, and there was a big article about how Hamels had had such a great postseason and how mm-hmm. his wife, Heidi, was giving him all of this, uh, you know, advice on like, like telling him to, uh, you know, speak up more and saying, and saying, and I think this was also when he called the Mets uh, choke artists, yep. also. <laughs> so. And then I felt like this was going to, and then I thought the Mets were going to respond to this. And I said that, you know, maybe he's saying these things because the girl that I was on Survivor with, you know, learn, learn how to, you know, say outlandish things, you know, from her time on Survivor with me. She told her husband to do this. And now the Mets are going to respond back. And then we're going to, we're going to win the World Series. It's going to happen. So then, okay. So now you have to find, um, People, you need to, you need to mentor uh, Mets players' wives. I guess really is what it comes down to. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. It's not. Wor- <laughs> it's not. It's not working. Whatever. Whatever it was, it's not yeah. working. Uh, um, yeah. I mean, I, I'm. I'm sure he's a wonderful man. I'm sure he's a great guy. I just, you know, as as a competitor, it's, it's a little. It's, it's. I don't know. I can't. I can't. I can't. Uh, I can't see spending any more time with Cole Hamels than somebody absolutely has to. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> well, as a Met <laughs> fan, the one consolation I can take away is that I've seen his wife naked. That's, that's, there you go. That's exactly. the best. That's right. <laughs> that's the best I can say. <laughs> Not much to hang our hat on uh, these days. Uh, so the Mets were were funny. pretty active this week following the loss of of Reyes. Uh, so what's your uh, quick take on uh, these these moves? It's, uh, the Mets are stockpiling relief pitchers here. I guess they tried to to rebuild uh, the bullpen, which you know they had to do after last season. Um, you know, it's kind of a sad story in the sense that they were doesn't feel like it because they had so many of their, their um, hitters out, whether it was injuries or traded or, or whatnot, um, or just bad seasons. Um, but yet they were the, they scored the most runs of any team in their division. Um, the problem is that the bullpen blew more games than, you know, anyone else. So, you know, they looked like they, they wanted to sort of revamp, um, you know, the, that end of the roster and in, in, in one swoop seemed to do that all in one night, which, uh, you know, I have no complaints about. I mean, for the most part, I think they're all pretty good acquisitions. Time will tell. But, um, you know, I think it, w- it was good stuff. You know, they're, for whatever reason, I mean, the team will say it's a lack of revenue. Um, you know, they're spending less 
than they have in the past, which, frankly, reasons aside, I think probably makes the most sense in terms of their long-term goals. But, Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's, I think, with what they have at their disposal, I think they're doing a really nice job uh, trying to put together a a relatively decent lineup. Um, And I think on that one night, they they showed what they're capable of kind of scrambling and putting all these pieces together in in, in one, one maneuver. And what about Angel Pagan? Were you happy to see him go? Do you like what they did? Uh, who who is this guy that they got to replace Angel Pagan? I'm a, uh, I mean, I like Angel. I thought he was a, a, a pretty good player. I mean, I don't think he's a great player by any any stretch, but I think he's good. Um, you know, he had a really good season a couple years ago, as you know. Yes. And last year, not so much. And, you know, the team, for the most part, and, and I, people were not shy in telling reporters and and i you know i heard the same and which was that pagan really got i I think a little overwhelmed last year you know he may not be the most um you know the brightest baseball player on the planet and i think he maybe had a hard time adjusting and and doing some things that was necessary to sort of step up his game and i think it weighed on him a little bit and distracted him and i think he got down on himself and never really pulled himself out of it and i think the team teammates in particular, I think the, the management were all a little disappointed. Um, back then, even in his worst days, he still hits really well when runners are on base. He's a really good all-around player, and I think that's what the Giants were looking for in place of the guy they sent to the Mets, also a center fielder, mm-hmm. uh, with almost the exact same facial hair, by the way. Whoa. Um, Perfect. kind of strange. They have like the exact same beard. Um, they look very similar. Um, he has a little bit more power. Um, he's a more of a leader, you know, you talk to any Giants fans or people on that team and they tell you what a, you know, what an unbelievable, uh, cheerleader this guy is that he's great in the clubhouse. And I think the Mets are looking for that. And so it sounded to me at the end of the day, like what Pagan had Torres didn't, what Torres had Pagan does, and they kind of switched them and, and flip-flopped these two guys. And in the process, the Mets also got a really good relief pitcher in the deal. Oh, wow. Okay. So are the Mets done now or they're going to do something else? I think they'll probably make another. I, well, I mean, they're going to obviously look to add, you know, some bull, uh, probably another bullpen guy. They'll probably look to secure the bench. I know they're looking for another starting pitcher. I wouldn't be surprised if they make a couple trades. Um, they have players that have some value, guys like Bobby Parnell, who's a relief pitcher, Mike Pelfrey, who's a starting pitcher. Um, you know, players like that. They obviously just moved Pagan, like we talked about. I mean, I think there are some parts and pieces they can move for maybe some other younger guys. Um, given that the, the, the pitching market is so uh, crazy. But, you know, I don't think it's going to be anything major. I don't think you're going to see, you know, some huge free agent signing or, or anything like that. Because uh, I don't think they want to weigh themselves down contractually with players. I think they're trying to keep themselves kind of open as they get more and more of these minor leaguers in. As players start to develop and, and get older, I think they want to have spots for guys and, and kind of pick their roster that way and then fill in with free agents, which is what most successful teams do, the Phillies, the Red Sox, you know, before they were who they are now, they went through a lot of losing and restructured their, their organization and then emerged kind of in the way we know them right at the moment. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what the Mets are trying to do. All right, completely in the first person now. All right, so it's 2004. You start this website about this up-and-coming team. They've got Wright. They've got Reyes. The, the You know, they... Uh, mm-hmm. But, you know, the Casimir debacle aside, and now here comes Omar Minaya, and now you're building up your, your business, you're building up, you're building up your blog. 
we're going to the National League Championship Series. We, we, you know, we're on the brink in 2007. We're getting Santana building, building, building. Now, you know, everything comes down. Bernie Madoff comes along, has a huge impact on your life as a guy who is spending a majority of time covering this baseball team. What's what's this like for you as somebody who is the creator of Mets Blog these last couple of years? It's been exhausting. Um, I mean, honestly, it's, I love every second of it because one of the things I, I like about the blog is an extension of, of watching baseball. And one of the things I love about baseball is the story. Um, you know, I look at things kind of in that storytelling kind of mentality. There's a beginning, middle and an end to all this. Um, you know, and so writing the blog is to me sort of like telling the story of a team and my views and experience doing what I do and, and all that stuff. So the financial and the legal and in many cases, the medical um, craziness that has occurred off the field uh, while not, um, you know, pitching and, and, and hitting and whatnot. It's interesting because it's part of the story. Uh, the struggle is that I don't know really anything about it. I'm not, you know, I can barely balance my checkbook. So trying to understand a Ponzi scheme and the impact it has on a baseball team, right. a little complicated. And so the naivety, sometimes I get accused of, you know, not wanting to write about it or I'm, I'm hiding it because I don't want to offend the team. But a lot of times it's just because I don't, you know, I'm, what do I know? I'm not, I'm not in the room. You know, I don't, I'm not part of the deal. Uh, it's difficult. And, and that's just presented a little bit of a struggle and, a lot of fans have sort of turned on the ownership. I think they expect me to do the same. And I, you know, to me, that's not really how it, it works. I don't, you know, I don't typically turn on the players. I'm again, like I said, I'm kind of watching the story play out and I, I tend to judge things after the fact. Um, Cause to me, that's the only way to do it. I mean, if I'm watching a movie, I don't get up and walk out midway. I usually sit and watch the whole movie and then I'll judge it when it's over. And like, to me, that's sort of what the same thing is. It's, you know, I want to see how this all ends. Um, you know, and so that's partly what I enjoy about writing it. And so on one hand, it's been crazy and exhausting because, man, it, it never ends and it's something new every day. At the same time, it's crazy and it's exhausting and it's something new every day. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, it can be it can be fun that way, too. Now, as somebody who runs the website, how do you deal with a lot of the negativity that comes up surrounding the team and which ultimately shows the like, I you know, I read the website every day. And I'll read a you know story. Mets Mets made X transaction, and you know there'll be lots of comments like, "Oh, get rid of Wilpon," blah 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 blah. Like you know, uh, lots of negative comments. And, and you know, some people are like, "Hey, okay, well, this was a pretty good move." And like, uh, "Well, is this going to win us the World Series? Is this is this what you wanted for?" You know, how, how do you deal with like uh, all the negativity that surrounds the website? And this, uh, not the website, but the team which shows up on the website. And how does that affect you? Well, well, first of all, I've gotten used to it. <laughs> That's the, I've grown pretty callous, um, you know, to the criticism of me personally. I mean, there's, there's a lot of cases where I get blamed for things. I'm not the GM. I don't, I have absolutely no impact here whatsoever, but somehow I get, you know, criticized. Um, you know, it's, I've gotten really used to it and, you know, it's a cliche, but what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. And in, in the sense that I think, in, in a lot of cases, there's criticism. There, there's usually a little bit of truth buried in, in all kinds of criticism. Um, you know, and I think it's important just to kind of listen and, and take it in, internalize it and make yourself better. Um, and so I've kind of, I kind of look at it, the personal criticism that way. 
Um, but that's been going on since I started the site. I mean, mm. the level of constant <laughs> hammering that I, I take when the team is not playing well um, is, I think, shock most people. My wife, it drives her crazy. Um, <laughs> but, like, I, you know, I, I've learned to deal with it, and it's part of, I think, what makes the site work. You know, the fact is people are reading, and um, that's fine. Um, criticizing the team, I mean, hey, whatever. It's, that's, they should. <laughs> the team hasn't been that good. Mm-hmm. So I don't have any problem with it. To me, you know, I'm, I prefer fairness. Um, you know, I think sometimes there's things said about the ownership or about players that I don't necessarily think is fair because I know it's not true or, you know, I think people are just being emotional, but it's an emotional game. And, and I think that's part of what makes being a sports fan fun. And I know that the people being criticized understand that. And so, you know, to me, it's all part of the deal. Well, I can certainly relate to everything you're saying as uh, stuff that comes up on our website in terms of the show where, uh, you know, something happens on the on the show. For instance, uh, last year when uh, Nayanka and Purple Kelly quit the game, there was a lot of uh, a lot of backlash about about the show and about uh, I interviewed them. Some people said I wasn't hard. I wasn't hard enough on them for uh, for what they did. And on a regular basis, we have a lot of. Uh, negative comments. I just wanted to ask you as somebody who's, you know, been in the blogging game and website uh, and social media space for uh, so long. I mean, where's the, where's the line that you draw? Do you just let everything stay on the website? Do you filter for language uh, only for personal attack? What do you think is the best policy as far as um, Hmm. moderating a comment section? Well, I mean, at the end of the day, it's yours right? It's a private business. You can do what you want. I, I, I love when I, I get involved in these things and, and I have readers that accuse me of being against free speech as if that has anything to do with what we're talking about. Um, you know, you have every right in the world to open your window and scream out that you hate the mess. Knock yourself out. But, you know, it's a, it's a private business. There's advertising, there's traffic, there's all kinds of things that you're trying to accomplish. And, you know, when it comes to the matter of, of language and race and things like that, stuff gets blocked on other company firewalls and that can have a hit on traffic. I mean, there's a lot of um, insidery, businessy kind of reasons for stuff. It's not just personal. I don't like what you said. Mm-hmm. Um, that said, there are times where I don't like what people say because maybe it's off topic or it's off point. Um, you know, if, if, if this is a particular discussion or a post that I'm making about topic A and people are trying to have a conversation about it, and then another group of people are running in talking about topic B and pulling it off topic and getting into like a mudslinging fight. To me, that's not appropriate. Um, and so I'll, I'll kind of take whatever I need to do to do that. I mean, there are cases where I'll ban users if it's absolutely necessary. I prefer not to, um, you know, but it happens. Um, you know, comment section's always been tricky. I mean, in sports, it's tough because like I was saying before, it's so emotional. Um, yeah. And part of what makes it tick and being able to yell at the, you know, yell at the player and be irrational. So to eliminate that from the forum uh, is somewhat disingenuous and it, it ruins the, the heart of what's going on. So in, in the sports world, we've all struggled as sports bloggers, you know, to what it means, you know, what does the comment section mean uh, and that sort of thing. So I'm not even sure it would be totally applicable to, to your situation. Um, you know, my, my guess is most of the criticism and most of the, the, the language and whatnot in the comment section on, on what you're talking about is probably directed towards you. 
Well, not uh, always. Sometimes, yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, you know, where in my case, it's directed towards this other party. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it really comes down to, long, long, long answer short, it comes down to language and I think intent and, and just general, you know, sensibility of, of, of what, what's kind of happening. If it's, you know, vile and angry and hateful and not fair, probably not going to stick. You know, if it's fair, but um, aggressive or whatever, you know, probably will. I think it's touch and, touch and feel. Um, yeah, in, in our case, you know, it's a lot of times direct, uh, stuff directed at me or, compl- or complaints about the shows that we do. But a lot of times it'll just be debates about uh, something that came up on the, on the show. Like uh, for, there's a couple things that I don't even want to talk about anymore because they become such yeah. hot button topics on the show like which person should have won this season and who was who was the better player and uh they get these debates get kind of get kind of nasty and i just feel like if you can't say what you have to say without attacking the other person or can't say it without using foul language i really don't want it on the site right i mean it it's a it's a society it's its own little community and as the leader of that community i think you have the right to you know do what you want to do. Um, the other thing to remember, and I, I always try to tell myself this, especially when it's uh, criticism directed at me, it's a small group. I mean, it's not to say that it doesn't scale because I'm sure there are people out there who feel the same way who aren't sending in comments. But for the most part, positivity doesn't come across on comment sections and Twitter and things like that. I mean, it's usually the motivated that are annoyed or angry, it's like anything else. It's like a complaint line. Um, they don't typically have, you know, a, a positive feedback line. Um, you know, and it's sort of that same mentality. It's people that want to vent and, and, and complain are going to pick up the phone, are going to take to the comment section. And so a lot of times the tone tends to be more negative than positive. Um, but that doesn't mean everybody is negative. Um, I go through this with reporters or even players when I'm talking about this stuff and they'll say, well, you know, everybody feels this way and they're basing that on what they see on Twitter. And it's like, well, no, that group of people on Twitter feel that way. It's not indicative of everybody. Um, and it's important to remember that too, I think, uh, when you're doing what you're doing. Uh, Matt, do you have time for a couple of quick questions from our listeners? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Uh, <laughs> let's see. Uh, how about, um, oh uh, Mike Skull wants to know, do you like the dimension changes to City Field? Yeah, I do. I was against it for a little while until I heard sort of the explanation behind it, which was it's difficult to evaluate other talent uh, coming into the ballpark because the ballpark is so unfair to, you know, hitters. Um, You know, and I think that makes sense. So, you know, the idea being let's neutralize the park. Um, It had been very favorable to pitching and very disadvantageous to um, hitters. And now they kind of split that down the middle and made it more fair. So you can look at other players that you're bringing in and say, okay, we can better figure out what they're going to do and how they're going to hit. Um, at the same time, I think it helps the guys on the team right now, specifically two that have been struggling, which is David Wright and Jason Day. I think it's going to help them out immensely. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, absolutely. I'm in, I'm in favor of it. I wasn't, I kind of came around to it. Now I think it's the right move. <laughs> Okay. Uh, Rich Glanzer wants to know, uh, and I'm happy with the blue walls. Very underrated, <laughs> the blue walls. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I agree. I've, I've been writing and posting mock-up pictures of what it would look like. And I asked someone in the front office a couple of years ago why they didn't do it and got some ridiculous 
nonsense answer about the type of paint or something they used. I mean, it was clearly they just hadn't thought about it. Yeah. Um, you know, and the fact that now they've, they've figured out, well, the new wall we're building, we can paint it blue. Uh, I think it's great. Good. They got the special paint. Exactly. Yeah, the magic, the magic blue paint. <laughs> uh, Rich Glanzer asks, are you mad that Alderson didn't trade Reyes? I am now. I'm disappointed in it. I mean, I, I think, look, I, I think a couple of things are going on. I, I try not to be, I know I'm long-winded in these answers, but they're always kind of complicated. Right. Um, you know, I think at the time, A, they wanted to bring him back. I know nobody believes that, but I do think they did. And at the same time, um, you know, you're, you're trying to sell tickets, right? If, if revenue is an issue and he and the batting title that he's chasing are your one shot at people in the seats, I think that's important to keep them also. I mean, you got to factor that in. Um, and so I think those two things, of course, you don't move them. However, as the offseason had moved on, when it became clear that their best offer was never going to top what the Marlins were going to give and he wasn't going to come back, yeah, it probably doesn't, they, they probably should have moved them. But, you know, we make the decisions with the fact at the time, and I think at the time it was the right move. Did the Mets gamble that nobody else was going to be that interested? No, I mean, I, I think, you know, interestingly, and I heard this from other, other people around the game, I think everybody assumed the Phillies and the Giants actually were going to be uh, the most interested, but they just couldn't free up the money to make the move. I mean, at the end of the day, I, I believe it was five, maybe five or six teams contacted his agent to, uh, you know, to kind of touch base and, and figure out what's going on. And Jose, from really since the summer, had been telling anybody who would listen that he wants a $100 million contract. Mm-hmm. And most teams didn't see him that way. So I think right, you know, as the offseason got started, teams kind of knew, look, we're, this is not how we value him. And if you're going to make a big stink about this, we don't have all day. We have other things we need to do. And people just kind of moved on. I think had the Marlins pulled out, other teams would have moved in. But I think everyone knew, you know, based on the fact that the Marlins showed up the minute they were able to make a bid, everybody knew how serious they were. And I think that kind of pushed other teams away. Uh- Jordan Parhar wants to know, uh, what, where does Matt think Prince Fielder will end up? Well, I, the Cubs make the most sense. Don't say the Marlins. Um, no, I don't think it'll be the Marlins. Um, I think the Cubs make the most sense. Um, I think if for some reason he went to the Marlins, I think the Cubs would cheat, or the Marlins would trade Gabby Sanchez to the Cubs. Mm-hmm. But um, I don't see either of those happen. I think it's got to be an American League team. I just I don't know where it would be. I, I can't imagine giving him in his size and his speed and everything else, uh, you know, that that type of a contract. But I think it's the Cubs in the National League. But I, if if it's a National League team, it's the Cubs. If not, it's an American League team. And I think he does end up in the AL. I'm just not sure where yet. All right. One last question. This is from uh, Jessica Frey. Uh, Matt, do you know how to play Ding Marry Kill? Uh, I, I do, yeah. Okay. The, she was a Ding Mary killed the beard of Brian Wilson, the hair of Tim Lincecum, and Ozzy's hair. Oh, geez. I got to write this down. I can't. So it's <laughs> Brian Wilson's beard, Tim Lincecum's hair, or Ozzy's hair. Rick's mustache does not make the cut. Jeez. <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't know how to answer this. <laughs> oh, it's, it's obvious. Okay, what's what's the obvious answer? I mean, I, I if I okay, yeah, I want to hear your answer. Uh, I think I, I would definitely kill Brian Wilson's beard. Let me just say that that <laughs> one I know off the gate because it's everywhere. I mean, yeah. that thing, 
that is the big his beard is is a um yeah it's it's the entire marketing department for the uh for major league baseball at this point <laughs> i think you marry tim lincecum's hair uh and, and then <laughs> ding uh, ding ozzy's hair okay all right I'll, I'll go with that i'll 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 turn my key on that one <laughs> yeah that's pretty good uh matt is there anything uh noteworthy that uh, you want to tell us about in the world of uh, sports and social media right now? Is anybody doing anything really, uh, really interesting that you want to talk about? No, I mean, it's, it's, I think people just trying to kind of figure out where things are going. I mean, I think Foursquare and geolocation stuff is, is from a marketing point of view, what everybody, everybody wants a piece of for obvious reasons. Um, From a content point of view on the, you know, reporting side, on the media side, it's trying to understand, you know, what's, Twitter's role really is in, in reporting. I think every media, um, you know, or every industry is kind of going through that with Twitter also, mm-hmm. you know, how much do you give away for free? Um, how do you monetize this stuff? It, it's kind of funny. It goes through phases. It's where things were kind of seven or eight years ago when, when blogging kind of caught on. Um, and now it's, it's all those same conversations are being had now and, and it's the same in sports. Yeah. As far as check-in goes, I mean, like, I know everybody is excited about check-in with uh, the Foursquare and, and the whatnot, but as far as a practicality uh, standpoint, I, I feel like it's very underwhelming. Yeah, I agree. I don't feel the need to use it, but I guess the two the two levers on it would be, obviously, reward, um, you know, and so being able to sort of get compensated somehow for, um, you know, being where you are. And uh, storytelling. So, you know, one of the, I think ESPN has um, Passport, but I know there's other companies that are trying to do similar, which is this idea that, you know, you go to X amount of games in your lifetime by using those sorts of tools, you can document and keep track of of where you went and the scores and what happened during the game and and sort of almost like scrapbook the experience um, to, to remember to have those memories. And I think, um, those types of geolocation services kind of factor into those sorts of things. Personally, I don't know that I would use that stuff. I mean, I have no problem writing it down, but you know, I understand the, the automation of it, and I think that's probably where that will go. Right, but if I could see the box score and then see some sure. highlights, and then uh, five years from now go back and look at, it, at a highlight or something like that, I, that, that's pretty cool. I like that. Yeah, I, I think that's actually one of the better ones I've heard. I agree. All right, and uh, Matt. What what is the what should we be most excited about for the 2012 baseball season? <laughs> the, um, as far as the Mets go, yeah, I mean, I, I think the continuation of some of the younger players, like Davis, in particular, uh, Lucas Duda, those kind of guys. I mean, I think they're the future of the the franchise. Um, you know, I think the trade deadline is going to be really interesting um, with a guy like David Wright. What happens to him? Um, you know, the return of, of Santana, and I think they have. I mean, look, like I said before, you know, from an offensive point of view, they were the top scoring team in the division and they were missing a bunch of players. A lot of them are getting back for hopefully full years, let's say. Yeah. Um, so I think the potential is there. If the pitching picks up the slack, it actually be a lot more interesting, a lot more fun. And let's not remember, too, there might be or there will be an extra wild card team. So, you know, I think September has the potential to be a little more exciting than, than the last couple of years. Um, you know, I'm trying to be realistic about it. Yeah. I don't think they're the best team in the division by any means, but I think it's a tough division and a lot of good ball uh, will be played. And so I, I think that's something I'm, I know I'm looking forward to. Do you think it makes sense to trade David Wright? I mean, what, how old is he? Is he, is he 28, 29, David Wright? 
Yeah, I think he'll be 30 this year. I mean, when I look at Chipper Jones, and he's still contributing at, uh, I don't know how old he is, but I remember being in college in 1998 and uh, and, and hating this guy. Or 90, <laughs> you know? Uh, like, <laughs> I, I mean, can't David Wright play until he's 40? Like, uh, if five years from now, is David Wright going to be some old, <laughs> decrepit guy that we that can't do anything? No, I mean, I, I think he probably has the, the ability to have that long career. I, I know he wants to. He, he works hard at it, so I don't, I don't see any reason why that won't be the case. But, you know, I think it's, it's, it's going to be a tough call. I mean, they're going to need, and, and what I'm hoping they do, and I, I don't, I've had no indications that this will be the case, but what I'm hoping they do is if they want to keep him, uh, to kind of figure out a contract extension or something sooner than later to not go through what they went through with Jose Reyes. Yeah. Um, you know, but I think a lot of that's going to be based on how he performs, you know, in the early part of the year. Again, they move the, the fences, uh, you know, in. Will that help him? If, if he's looking like he's more confident and he's the type of player he was four or five years ago, you know, yeah, maybe they, they do consider it. I mean, or consider extending him. He has an option that they actually can pick up for the following year. So while he could be a free agent at the end of next season, they also could keep him for a whole nother year. Um, my my guess is if he's performing well um, and they think there's the opportunity to resign him, they may just pick up that option and then deal with things the following season. But it's going to be a weird story because there's a lot of different ways to play it. Um, a lot of it's going to depend, I think, on the financial situation of the franchise and where they're headed. Um, there's a lot of moving parts to it, but um, I don't think there's a conclusion to it. I don't even think they know what they want to do yet. All right. Well, Matt, thank you so much. If you, if you want to hear uh, any more about the Mets, you should be reading Mets blog and you should be going to it about four or five times a day because it's constantly, not like my website, they constantly update it with, with uh, every breaking story that's going on and lots of opinion stuff. And uh, it's, it you know, I find myself uh, not going any less in the off season than, than in the regular season. No, I'm not surprised. I write more in the, uh, in the off season. Yeah. So it's all year it's round. Usually, yeah, it is year round. Yeah. And so, uh, Matt, thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, and also, uh, Matthew and, uh, uh what, what about on Twitter? Is, uh, at Matthew Cerrone. At Matthew Cerrone. Uh, a- anything else? Did we miss anything? No, I think that's it. I, I think all the plugs are in there. Yeah, it's fine. I, and I, listen, man, I keep up the great work on the show too. I love it. Like I was saying, it's a huge, um, you know, companion to, as far as I'm concerned, to, to watching Survivor. I, I get, you know, and when you do the Survivor episode, to me, that's, you know, the best thing. Like I, I enjoy every second of it, so keep it up. Well, thanks, man. I really appreciate that. And uh, you two keep up the good work. And uh, it's great to finally have you on. And uh, anytime you want to talk Survivor, let me know. Absolutely. Will do. All right. Take care, Matt. All right. Thanks, man. Bye. Bye.